O Lord our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father, to learn from you, for you are a wonderful counselor, and to serve you, for you are our Almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our series called I Love My Church. And I, I just, this is a, the cry of my heart lately. I just, I love our church. I love what we're doing. Now here's some great things that have been going on. Of course, we just finished up a week of Family Promise here on the Monterey Park campus. This is a, actually the five-year anniversary. We just celebrated that this past week. Five years of doing Family Promise together. We are one of 202 uh, networks around the country. Uh, just here in San Gabriel Valley, we have served 106 adults and 133 kids. That means 243,685 meals that we have served over those five years. 97,474 bed nights. That uh, means uh, they, were, they didn't have to sleep uh, in their car or on the street. Uh, on our Roland Heights campus, uh, we launched, uh, we had a, our first of 10 prayer gatherings. We're going to do five prayer gatherings on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. on that campus. And then we're going to move to this campus for the following five weeks, 7 o'clock a.m. here. And we will keep you posted. It was amazing. We had more than 40 people show up from our different congregations. It was powerful. And I encourage you to get out there. I am not a morning person. It was tough for me to get out there. But I was so glad that I did. Uh, I, me, I like to be up at 1 or 2 in the morning. Um, but uh, it was so amazing. We also had a, um, a women's Bible study launch on Friday night. We had a Roland uh, Heights campus work day. Uh, we had about 40 people show up for that. We cleaned up the kids' areas. We did a bunch of gardening. Uh, we hauled stuff out of the sheds. So a lot of good things have been happening, and this is another good week. We've got Team World Vision training beginning soon, Harvest Festival coming up. So we've got a lot of things going on. We encourage you uh, to uh, start a conversation with us, keep up a dialogue about some things that, that you would like to see in the church, some questions that you might have. You can, that's my cell phone up on the screen number, uh, on, on the screen right there. You can text me. Uh, you can go on Twitter and tweet the hashtag AskTrinityMP and be part of that conversation. Uh, we talked about five things that need to be happening in the church for us to be healthy and strong. Now, think of these five things like nutrients uh, that our body needs in order uh, to be healthy. They've got to be happening collectively for our church to be strong. And they have to be happening individually in your life in order for you to be healthy. Neglecting any one of these areas uh, will cause us to feel uh, weak spiritually, malnourished, uh, we, we need worship. We go stronger through worship. We grow warmer through fellowship. We grow deeper through discipleship. We go broader as a church through ministry. And we go larger through evangelism. Uh, so if you, sometimes um, people feel like they're not being fed. And if that's you, ask yourself whether one of these areas or more, one or more of these areas is missing uh, in your life. And if it is, then there's a good chance you might start to feel spiritually hungry or malnourished, underfed uh, over time. So we're going to talk about ministry today. You were created for ministry. The church was established not just for worship, not just for fellowship, not just for discipleship, but also for ministry. Now, when we, when we think about ministry, we think about serving, right? Um, 
and it might seem to you like we talk about serving an awful lot. So why is that? What is the big deal? Why is this so important to us? Well, here's the thing. You and I were made to be useful. Useful. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not useless. <laughs> we are made to be useful. God created you to be a blessing. He plans certain things just for you to do in your lifetime. That is his gift to each of us. Not just a family to belong to, not, but, but also a purpose to fulfill. He gave you work to do. We all uh, want to be useful. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So if we are not being useful, if that need is not met, we will feel empty. We will eventually feel aimless and even depressed. It's been said that life's heaviest burden is having nothing to carry. It's feeling like th there is no need for you. You have no burdens. That's actually the heaviest burden. We all have this deep God-given desire to be helpful, to be useful, to contribute, to do work that matters to uh, make a difference, to give back, to serve, however you want to phrase it. And that is a uniquely human trait. No matter where you come from, no matter what you believe, no matter what religion you subscribe to or don't subscribe to, we have this need to be useful. And that is evidence, I believe, that we are made in the image of God. But ministry is a lot more than doing just good, good deeds. It's more than helping around the church. Ministry goes a lot deeper than that. Because you see, for Christians, everything that we do is infused with deeper meaning. Uh, ordinary things take on a deep theological significance. Theology meaning the study of God. They tell us something about God. And we start to see things differently because of our understanding of who God is, uh, and what he has done, and therefore the kind of people that we are called to be. So, so for example, singing for us is not just singing when it's done as an act of worship. It becomes this profoundly spiritual experience that, that recalibrates our hearts. When you, when you sing on Sunday, you might have come in and feeling completely disconnected with God, but the act of worshiping through song begins to recalibrate our hearts and reorder our priorities so that by the time we walk out of here, we're like... Okay, I hit the reset button. I remember who I am. I remember who God is. I remember what my priorities are. Singing is not just singing. It takes on a deep theological significance. For us, eating is not just eating. When it is done as an act of fellowship. And uh, Pastor Johnny talked a couple weeks ago about that, the word fellowship, coming from the word koinonia. Uh, we don't really have an English equivalent for this word. We try to kind of muddle around it. But, but, but the best way that I can describe it to you is a oneness in heart and mind and soul and purpose. And we see it in the early church when Jews and Gentiles, who would have nothing to do with each other, came together under the banner of Christ. That's koinonia. It is enemies becoming friends, becoming family. That's koinonia. And so when Jesus ate with prostitutes, when he ate with sinners and tax collectors and, and, and lepers, people who were on the fringes, people who, who were, got, people believe were cursed by God, and Jesus 
broke bread with them, that was a subversive act. That was, that was a, a powerful, that was a scandalous thing to do. And he, was, he wasn't just eating because he was hungry and no one else would eat with him. He was trying to communicate something about the kingdom of God, about the nature of God. He came to make the enemies of God his friends, to invite sinners to sit at his father's table. And so for us, eating becomes a sign and a witness to the gospel itself. It's a preview of the kingdom of heaven. It's symbolic. It's subversive. In other words, for a Christian, we care less about what we're going to eat. You, we always say, what are you going to eat? At, where are we going to eat after church? Where do you want to go? What do you want to eat? That's not the question for us. The question is not what we eat. The question is, who are we eating with? Who are we eating with? What would happen if we made, a, made it a priority to break bread often with people who are not like us? As Pastor Johnny mentioned in, uh, in Washington, um, politicians, congressmen used to, uh, used to spend a lot more time there. Now they spend a lot of time in their districts um, being with the people. And so what's, what's happened is they don't eat together anymore during the week. They don't even see each other. The only time they see each other is in session. But they used to be friends. They used to know each other's families. They used to break bread together. Now, what would happen if they started doing that again? What would happen to the gridlock that we see in Washington? What would happen if cops and, uh, and people from the Black Lives Matter movement ate together twice a week? What would happen if Jews and Christians and Muslims and atheists and agnostics and Hindus and Buddhists ate together a couple times a week? You see, there's something powerful about Eating together, table fellowship, it's a sign and it's a symbol of what is to come. Eating is not just eating. It's not what we eat, it's who we eat with. So the question, maybe after church today, is not what are we going to eat, it's who are we going to eat with today? Do you understand? In the same way, learning is not just learning. When the purpose is discipleship. So a sermon becomes more than a speech. It's more than a TED Talk. A Bible study becomes more than a class. A small group is more than a support group. All of these things become a means for our transformation. A way for us to be changed from the inside out. You're not just feeding your mind, you're feeding your spirit, your soul. You are becoming an entirely different kind of person. Men and women who walk in the way of Jesus. Learning is not just learning when the purpose is discipleship. And so in the same way, serving is not just serving when it is done in Jesus' name. It becomes ministry. And what does that mean? How is what we do different than just doing nice things for people or lending a hand around the church? Well, let's talk about ministry. In Luke 3.23, we read that Jesus was about 30 years old when he started his ministry. So what is ministry? In the Old Testament, you almost never see, in your English translations of the Bible, you almost never see the word ministry in the Old Testament, in English. Instead, you will see the word, uh, often see the word abad, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, which is alternatively translated as worship. We didn't have ministry, we just worshiped God. And the same word for worship was the same word for work, the same word for service. In the New Testament, we see two words that are commonly translated as ministry in the Greek, and you can fill this out on your outline if you like. The first word is diakoneo, diakoneo, which means to serve, to 
uh, wait upon, like a, like a waiter in a restaurant bringing you food and drink, literally to wait upon, to attend upon somebody like a butler, to serve them, okay? Uh, the other word that we see, which is stronger, is the word duluo, duluo, which means to serve as a slave, not as a hired hand, but as a slave. And these two words are used to, dis- to are translated in English as ministry, or variations of that word as minister, right? So what was the ministry that Jesus started at the age of 30? In Philippians 2, we read that Christ Jesus, who, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality <coughs> excuse me, with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a doulos. In the English, it's often translated servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. The word doulos, uh, probably in your translation of the Bible, is translated servant, but that's not what it means. Doulos means bond slave. Someone who was purchased and therefore bound to his or her master and has become a slave with no rights, no freedom. No ownership rights, not a hired hand, but someone who literally belongs to another like a piece of property. Jesus became like a doulos, like a bond slave. I, 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 can't even, I can't even begin to fathom what that means, the significance of that, that Jesus, the Son of God, became like a slave without any rights for my sake and for your sake. He completely surrendered his will to the Father. In other words, Paul chooses the lowest possible form of servitude, the lowest position in all of society, and says Jesus was like that. Jesus was like a slave. Why would Jesus do that? Except for love. Jesus became a bond slave, a doulos, for our sakes. These days in our crazy, crazy election cycle, we are longing for a leader that is worth following. Someone who does not lust for power, but who is a true servant of the public good, pure of heart full of wisdom. But the truth is that every single human leader will fail us in some way. And the more that we discover about Jesus, the more we appreciate what an incredible and amazing God that we serve. The only one who is truly good. Not only is Jesus this suffering servant, the bond slave who served his father and us unto death, we are told, therefore, to imitate him. In Philippians 2, earlier in that passage, we read that if we have any encouragement, if we have uh, from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness in our, uh, or compassion, if God has touched your life in any way, 
then our relationships with one another, we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and become as a servant. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 20, whoever wants to become great among you must be your diakonos, your, um, your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your doulos, your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Romans uh, 1, Paul introduces himself as uh, the English translation, probably in your Bible, says a servant. But the word is doulos. It's slave. Slave, not diakonos. It's slave, doulos. He introduces himself as a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I don't, for some reason, <coughs> in most of our English translations of the Bible, the, all the translators seem to translate both diakonos and doulos as servant. It's as if we, they couldn't bring themselves to use the word slave, what it actually means. But that's how Jesus is described. And that's how the disciples thought of themselves. Because the difference between a servant and a slave is that a servant is rewarded for their work and expects that. Expects that. Not, not actually, they're not given wages as a reward. They, they're given it as a right. I worked for you. Give me my paycheck. But a slave, when they are uh, blessed, it's, it truly is a gift. Because they don't deserve anything. They don't own anything. John MacArthur says, being a slave of Christ may be the best way to define a Christian. A Christian is a slave of Christ. Now, we don't like that, especially in America. We hate that, right? We don't like to talk about slavery. We want to talk about freedom, right? Contemporary Christianity is all about health and wealth and prosperity and finding your fulfillment and, and fulfilling your dream and finding your purpose. And we're told that God loves us unconditionally and wants us to be all that we can be and to fulfill every ambition, every desire, every hope, every dream. And we're told it's all about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that is true. We do talk about the personal relationship with Christ, but you know who else has a relationship with Christ? Satan has a relationship with Christ. It's just not a very good one. Every living being has some kind of relationship with God leading to one end or another end. What is our relationship to God? What is our relationship to Christ? How are we best to understand it? Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to death. I was a slave to hell. Now I'm a slave to Christ. I'm an instrument of the Lord. So you see, for us, serving is not just serving. It's not just doing nice things for people. When we serve, we are saying something significant about who God is and who we are. Ministry is showing people the heart of God. When I serve somebody, I'm saying God is like this. God is one who became like a slave and serves. We've been purchased by Christ's blood. We are his, and out of his great love for us, we are not only slaves, but we become also God's sons and daughters, joint heirs in the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, you are a letter from Christ, known and read by everyone, written not with ink, 
but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, like the Mosaic law, but on tablets of human hearts. You are a letter from Christ, known and read by everyone. How is God going to communicate what he is like through the church? So you see, when you serve, you're not just doing nice things. You are revealing to people the heart of God. Let me show you what God is like by serving you without any expectation of any compensation because I'm a slave of Christ. So what is ministry? Ministry is serving others unto the Lord, as if to the Lord. I'll talk about that in a moment. For his glory, to point to God, to point to his majesty, his character, how amazing he is, and to advance his purposes. So again, we were created for ministry. I have a ministry, you have a ministry. And to be a Christian is to be a slave of Christ to imitate his unconditional, self-sacrificing love because we are a letter from Jesus to the world. D, you are a letter from Jesus, known and read by everyone. Right? Tom, you're a letter from Jesus. God wants your neighbors to know Jesus, and you are the letter. They may never read the Bible, but they will read you. They will read your life. So we all have a ministry. Uh, I'm a pastor, and as a pastor, I have a very specific ministry. I don't have any need for a title. I don't really care much for being called Pastor Albert. Some of you call me that. That's fine. But I don't really have a need for a title. But I have been called to be a pastor, and that's a very specific role. So what do, what do pastors do? What's our, what's a, what is the heart of, of what we do? Well, in Ephesians 4.11, we read this, that Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of diakonia, of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So my ministry, primarily, my primary ministry is not to preach the gospel. It's not to teach the word of God. It's not even to care for the flock. My primary ministry is to prepare God's people for works of service. Because through that, the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and we become mature and we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So how do I do that? How do I prepare people for works of diakonia? Well, by preaching the gospel. Right? and by teaching the word, and by caring for the flock. But I want you to understand, these things are not ends in and of themselves. They are a means to this end, to prepare you for works of service. Do you understand the distinction? Do I preach the gospel? Yes. Do I teach the word? Yes. Do I care for the flock? Yes. But this is my mission. This is my ministry. Right? My job, my ministry, the way that I serve you is to help you discover why you are here. To discover your ministry so that you can start serving the Lord. If the people of God are not serving one another, we will not become mature. We'll never grow up as Christians. 
So I need to keep preaching and teaching and shepherding and counseling and pleading and encouraging and equipping and confronting and even rebuking sometimes until that penny drops for you. And you understand what the Lord has done for you and you trust in Him as your Lord and your Savior and you offer your life to Him and you join God's family and you become a servant of Jesus Christ. I could, I, could, I could teach the entire Bible front to back ten times until you have this whole thing memorized, but until you become a servant of Christ Jesus. Not just a fan, not just a, a friend, not just a follower, but a servant. My job is not done. Because to worship God is to serve God. And to serve God is to worship God. So this is my ministry to prepare you for works of service so we all become mature. So what is, what is your ministry, right? What, what, what is a, a ministry that applies to all of us, all of us? Let's talk about the body of Christ, the church, the congregation. And I'm part of the body, right? So this is also my ministry and what I'm about to share with you. In 2 Corinthians, we read, Paul says that Christ gave us the diakonia, the ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. That's my ministry. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Our primary ministry, all of us, is to serve people in love, to share the good news of the gospel so that they can be reconciled to God. That's your ministry, to help people become reconciled to God. It's not about joining a religion. It is not about getting people to live according to a certain set of rules. It is about helping people enter into a growing relationship with Christ. That's our ministry. That's why we're here. So how do we begin. What do we... Jesus started his formal ministry uh, at the age of 30. Uh, he, but he started serving his father long before that. So where do we begin? Well, we all have three resources that we can offer God. Three things that you can offer God. Our lives are like a, a key ring. I left most of my keys in my office because it's so fat it doesn't fit in my pocket. I just took this, my little church keys off. But I now I have my house keys. I have my, my, the other church keys. Uh, my car keys for the two cars or remotes. I mean, it's, it's this fat. And Mike Slater, uh, who uh, preached here a while ago, uh, he said our lives are like a key ring. We have all these different keys. And, and this one represents my, my family. And this one represents uh, my job. And, and maybe this one represents my possessions. And we have all these things that we can offer God. And sometimes what we do is we say, God, well, you can have this one. And, and, and you can have that one. And maybe you can have this one. But when we really understand what it means to be a Christian, a slave of Christ, we say, God, you can have the whole thing. It's all yours. All of it. All of it. So we all have different things that we can offer God. What I encourage you to do is offer all of it to God. But there are three things that all of us have, whether you're married or not, no matter how old you are, there are three things that you have, and that is you have your time, and you have your talents, and you have your treasure. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. And you can, you can offer all of these things to the Lord. We all have them. Uh, so ministry is offering the first two, my time and my talents. I'm offering my time and my talents to the Lord. We're going to talk about the third one in a couple weeks. But we are all stewards. We have, we have resources. We have assets. We have uh, things, abilities. 
And so there's four things that I want to talk about when it comes to uh, all giving. Give, I don't care what you give to God, whatever resource you have, whether it's your time, your talents, and your treasure. Four things about that. Four things about ministry. First of all, all giving, all ministry is spiritual. Ministry is serving others unto the Lord for His glory to advance His purposes. What does that mean? That means that we serve as if we were serving Christ Himself. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. So when you cook a meal for somebody, right? Raphael, you and Kate invited me and Christine to your uh, home for a lovely dinner. You hosted us. It was amazing hospitality. Thank you for that. He cooked an amazing meal. When we cook a meal for somebody, when we serve somebody, it is as if we are cooking for Jesus. Imagine that Jesus is coming to your house for dinner and you're preparing a meal for him. What kind of care would you put into that meal? Right? But what if you were helping someone build a home or move into their house or, or, or renovate their home? What kind of care would you put into that? Or let's say you're leading a, a, a youth uh, small group. Imagine teenage Jesus, 15 years old, in your youth group. How would you love that teenager? How would you teach? How, would you, how much time and care would you put into your preparation? Or would you just show up and wing it? What do we do? How do we serve when we imagine that we are serving Jesus? If you're leading worship, how would you prepare if Jesus was going to be in the congregation worshiping with you on Sunday? Would you rehearse? Absolutely. Right? How much care would you put in the selection of the songs? Would you pray over the service? So our, our attitude, all, all serving, all giving is spiritual. Our attitude and our approach to ministry says volumes about our theology. If the way I serve is a reflection of the character of God, if serving is a window into the coming kingdom, then what does it say if I refuse to serve? What does that say about the character of God? If I, if I serve grudgingly, or, or if I do a half-hearted job, or if I serve sporadically, and only when it's convenient for me to do so, what am I telling people about the character of God? What picture of Jesus am I giving people? So we serve unto the Lord for His glory. In other words, we serve to communicate something important about who God is. And we serve for the purposes of His kingdom. To answer people's cries for compassion and justice and mercy. To make earth look more like heaven. Secondly, we give spontaneously. We give spontaneously. God puts certain opportunities, uh, we, we serve spontaneously, He puts certain opportunities before us, uh, and we respond. You, maybe you walked in here today and you didn't know that you would be challenged to run with Team World Vision, that this is a spontaneous thing, and you have an opportunity right now to serve spontaneously, right, and say, oh, I'm going to do it, right? You know, I didn't know I was, gonna, I was in for that today. This is a spontaneous uh, opportunity, and we do that out of a sense of gratitude, or because the need is clear, and we know that we have the ability to help, or the Spirit moves us with compassion. So are you, when you serve, do you, have, do you uh, respond to spontaneous ministry opportunities? Do you raise your hand? Right? Do you put your name on the sign-up sheet? Do you, do you stand up? Do you step forward? Do you jump in? When God places an opportunity before you, do you say, you know what? I'm just going to wait on this. And then that that prompting cools and, you're, and nothing happens, right? Or do you say, no, I'm feeling that tug, I'm going to do it, right? Are you responsive? 
those spontaneous opportunities. But then there is ministry that is strategic. You've thought about this. It's intentional. It's planned. And it's habitual. It's not like once in a while if the opportunity is in front of your face. But you have thought, I'm going to serve God on a consistent basis. It's not random. It's not haphazard. It's in line with your experiences and your gifts and your abilities and your passions. And so you ask the question, what makes the most sense for me? What am I passionate about? How can I be useful in a systematic, ongoing way? Have you put some serious thought into how you can serve, into your ministry? What is your ministry? And so we serve in, in not just spontaneously, not just when the, when the fancy strikes us, but in a very strategic way. <coughs> Thirdly, there are times when we give sacrificial, or fourthly, we, uh, we give sacrificially, above and beyond what is ordinary, going the extra mile. We serve when it is inconvenient for us to do so, even when it sets back other goals that we have for ourselves. Maybe there was something you wanted to do, and you're like, no, I am going to serve. I'm going to respond to God's call. I'm going to serve here, and I'm just going to put what I wanted to do on the back burner. Right? I, I plan to go on vacation, and I'm going to give that vacation time up, and I'm going to go on a mission trip. Do you know what's happening with our youth? Over Christmas, a bunch of them are spending Christmas in Mexico doing a missions trip, serving the poor. They said, we want to spend our Christmas doing that. And they, could, they could have stayed home. They could have had their nice comfortable tree and you know, all the things they normally do. But they're saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to give up my vacation time to serve the Lord. So we give, we serve sacrificially. Are you willing to do that? Out of your comfort zone. Some, when is the last time you served in a way that cost you something? And how did you grow from that experience? So, so when it comes to all of our resources, we always give, we always serve. Uh, it's a spiritual thing. We do it spontaneously. We do it strategically. And sometimes we do it sacrificially. And Jesus modeled all of these things. He would respond spontaneously to needs in front of him, but he also had a strategy. He had a, he had a strategic ministry. He did it sacrificially. And he did all of this for the glory of his Father and to advance his Father's purposes. So the question that I want to pose to you today is, will you serve? Will you follow the example of Jesus and become a doulos, a slave of Christ? Will you embark on a journey of discovery and ask the Lord to show you? If you don't know what your ministry is, will you ask the Lord to show that to you? Lord, what, what is it that you would have me do? We all have a ministry. I have one. You have one. What is it? Will you offer your time, your talents, and your treasures to God spontaneously, strategically, and sacrificially? Christine's, uh, in Christine's sermon last week, she said some of us complain about being spiritually dry, and we blame it on our surroundings. And she said maybe the water that's in your cup is stale because you haven't poured it out for anybody. So pour out your cup. What God has given you, pour it out for the sake of others, and God will fill it with fresh water. Maybe you feel stale in your walk with God because you haven't poured out what he's already given you. Proverbs 11.25 says, Those that water shall be watered. The uh, ISV translation says that anyone who gives water will receive a flood in return. Isn't it true, Lindsay, that you have received so much more from the ministry of Team World Vision than you have given, right? Those who water will be watered. 
And so specifically, my, my question for you is, will you serve with us? We are getting ready in January to reintroduce our church to our community. We're doing a relaunch, uh, and we are going to make a concerted effort to get to know our neighbors. It's going to be 40 days of getting to know our neighbors, connecting with our community. And we need help. We need your help. You're going to see areas uh, where we need volunteers. And so on your outlines, on your handouts, you're going to see some things that we need. On our worship arts team, we need musicians. We need vocalists. Now, there's a certain uh, uh, level of um, competency that we are looking for. So if you'd like to uh, be part of that, we do ask that you audition. Um, but if, even if you don't, uh, you're not, you don't quite have the skills, we'll work with you. We'll, we'll start vocal classes. If you want to learn guitar, we can have people teach you guitar. If you want to learn, you can learn, right? Uh, we need people on audiovisual crew to run the soundboard back there, to run the slides, uh, eventually to, to run the camera, right? So we need people in the worship arts team. We need people uh, with our first impressions team uh, to be able uh, to welcome our guests. So we need hosts. What does a host do? A host welcomes people, greets them with a smile, answers questions, helps them find their way around the church, uh, helps them make friends, connect to people. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the SoCal Honda dealer uh, ads that you hear, right? It's my job to be helpful, right? It's my job to be helpful. That's what the host needs. It's my job to be helpful. How can I help you today, right? Um, the, uh, we also need the prep people on our prep team to get our campus ready, to make sure that our environment is clean and welcoming and nice, uh, and uh, lots of ways that you can help with that. Uh, the children's ministry, we're always looking for kids' service, uh, small group uh, leaders, for small group assistance, people to, to come along. Maybe you, you, you don't quite feel ready to be a leader, but you can say, well, I can help. I'll be like an aide, like a teacher's aide. Uh, what do you need me to do? I'll, I'll help with that. We need people to uh, prepare snacks for the kids. They get to eat snacks during their service. Um, would you like that in the adult service? Yeah. Should we have snacks here? <laughs> right. uh, but we, we need people to do all of those things, and of course we'll train you to do that. Uh, we also need um, people to host life groups. These are midweek gatherings in your home. Would you be willing to have six to eight people gather in your home uh, and uh, maybe share a meal together, uh, do a, a, a very simple Bible study together? We'll train you how to do those things. We need people. So if you have the gift of hospitality, we want to talk to you. And then there's other areas we could use help in youth ministry, uh, in outreach, facilities, uh, administration, all kinds of things that, uh, that you could do. Uh, we want to have a high expectation culture at this church. We expect people to serve. If you're a guest and you're still exploring, take as much time as you want. But once this church is your home, we expect you to serve. Um, and not just spontaneously, but uh, strategically, systematically. And some people say, some people will say, I'm willing to serve. Just, just let me know when you need help. Just let me know when you, anything you need. Let me know when you need help. I'll be there. That's spontaneous service, right? What really blesses me, what really helps us is when somebody says, give me a ministry that I can own. That would be my job to do. Uh, and it would be my honor to serve Jesus alongside my church family. Don't just tell me once in a while, when, when you need help. I don't want to serve like two or three times a year. Give me a job. Give me something to do. I can sink my teeth into. Right? Uh, Wes and Talene, I appreciate it so much. I sat in on your class today. That was awesome. I only got to be there for 10 minutes. But I could tell the spirit was moving in that place. Thank you for using your gifts in a strategic and a systematic way. That's, that minist that's your ministry. 
and you're blessing people through it. I appreciate that. So when people say, give me a job to do, that'll be my thing. Um, man, we appreciate that so much. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In your bulletins, you have a connection card. Uh, mine's missing. But does somebody have one to show me? Okay. Then in the, uh, is there one underneath? Okay. Then grab your bulletin itself or the envelope, something you can write on. And what I want you to do is uh, take that out. Everyone take that out right now, something to write on, scrap of paper, uh, connection card, whatever you need. I'm sorry, Jeff, I didn't realize that you started putting them in the hallway. That's my bad. Okay, grab something to write on. And all you need to do is this. Write down your name. We probably, if you've been going here for a while, we have your contact information. But if you're new, if, you, if you've only been coming for a couple of months, then we probably don't have your contact information. So write that down as well. Write it down. And um, I want to invite you to write down, and there's a list on your handout, your sermon handout of those different areas I just mentioned. One area where you might be interested in serving on a regular basis, not spontaneously, but strategically, systematically. What is something that you like, a job, and you're like, give me a job in this area, whether it's kids' ministry or first impressions, or some other area, and just write that down, just your name and that area, and we will be in touch with you. And what I'd like you to do is at the end of the service, come on up and just put it in this box, and I will leave it right here on the altar here. Just come up, come up and, and leave it there. Okay. Um, if you don't know what the right fit is, you're like, I, I just, I can't really pick one. I don't know, but I'm willing to to explore the possibility. Then just put the words "ready to serve." Put your name and "ready to serve." We will contact you and we'll have a conversation with you uh, about what what might be a good fit, what you might want to try. So today was a challenge for us to reimagine what ministry is. Ministry is not just helping out. It's not just uh, doing good deeds. It is, it is a sign and a witness of who God is and who we are and the kind of kingdom that, that, God, that Jesus is ushering in. It is a strategic thing that we do. It is a symbolic thing that we do. And so when someone asks you what you do for a living, right? When someone asks Helen or uh, someone asks uh, Irene, what you do for a living, if you're a Christian, your response is, I'm in full-time ministry. Uh, maybe you're an accountant and that's your, you know, your official job title. But what you actually do, you're in full-time ministry. We are, always, we are always serving the Lord. Isn't that the truth of who we are? If you're a Christian, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And that's not something to shy away from. That's something to embrace. Because we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to Christ. So I want to thank you for journeying with us through this series and reconsidering what does it mean to be part of God's church? What are God's intentions for us? As some of you right now, God has prompted you, and you're writing something down. You're like, okay, I'm in. I'm, I'm doing this. I, uh, I have not been serving in a systematic, strategic way. I want to do that. And I want to thank you because, because of that, all of us will benefit.
that helps us grow mature. And now, Lord, help us to follow in the way of Jesus and to measure our lives by the way that we serve people. May we freely and gladly adopt that title that we are servants, we are slaves of Christ. We give up our rights in order to grab onto something much greater. Lord, we surrender to you and we ask, Lord, that you use us, Lord, to show the world, not just to bless people, but to actually show them the very character of God and the nature of your kingdom. When people think of Christians, may they think of Christ. May the word servant be one of the first things that comes into their mind when they think of us, because really we are showing them you, God. Who are we that the God of the universe would stoop so low and make himself nothing, become as a slave? What does that say about you and what does that say about us and your great love for us? Pray that we reflect on that this week. Recalibrate our hearts and our minds. Transform us from the inside out, Lord. Thank you for meeting us this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name.